This is episode number 227 with Erica Gerards of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's up, fellow founders? Nathan Chan here coming to you live from hometown, currently rainy uh, Melbourne. I don't know if you can hear the rain, but it's supposed to be summer right now. And uh, it's raining pretty heavily. I don't know what's going on. But uh, welcome. My name's Nathan Chan. I'm the CEO of Founder Magazine, also the host of the Founder Podcast. And if you're new to this show, we interview some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation to really break down like what it takes to build a successful business, how to grow a successful business, what are the experiences they've learned, what are the lessons that they've learned, how can we, how can we extract that and give you actionable stuff to take away so you can go out and do the same thing. So let's talk about today's guest. Her name's Erica Gerarts. And uh, I've known Erica for actually quite a few years. Um, she's actually a second appearance on the Founder Podcast. Uh, I interviewed her, oh, geez, maybe like at least two, three years ago and uh, in the early days. And I interviewed her uh, and one of her co-founders around her company at the time back then, Frank Body. They rapidly grew this company called Frank Body, a coffee scrub-based business, um, you know, using Instagram, built to like a $20 million-plus year business very, very fast. And some of the key things that I took away, and I went to their offices, so Erica's here in Melbourne, and some of the key things that I took away learning from her was around the importance of branding, the importance of copy, the importance of even like you're having your brand having a voice. And now Erica has actually moved on from uh, Frank Body and she's created a new company called Fluff. And uh, it's, it's a cosmetics company. And I'm going to go through and talk with her all the things 
that she's learned along the way and what you can learn because Erica's amazing at building exceptional brands, especially consumer-facing brands. Uh, very, very good. One of the best I've seen. So uh, you guys are in for an absolute treat. Now, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us big time, more than you can imagine, and share this with any friends that you know are entrepreneurs or founders that will get value from this. Share it with them. Do them a favor. Help us spread the word. We're on the we're on a mission at Founder Build a household name, entrepreneurial brand. So, guys, please do share this with your friends. Please do leave a review. And uh, that's it from me. Now, let's jump to the show. Hey guys, so today we're speaking to Erica Gerarts. Uh, pronounced her name correctly. <laughs> and uh, she's the founder of a company called Fluff. Um, I actually interviewed her three years ago when I first started founder in the early days. Uh, she co-founded another company called Frank Body, which she has since exited. And uh, now she's building this incredible brand called Fluff, where we're going to really find out and hear kind of how it's all starting on the ground level because when did you launch? We launched officially about two months ago in yep. terms of really pushing our website out there. Yeah, okay, yeah. there you go. So um, I guess the first question I ask everyone is uh, how would you get your job? <laughs> this job? Yep. <laughs> I say to people a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I think fluff came about because after being at Frank Body for about three years, I felt like there was something missing. Frank was an incredible place to work. I started with my two best friends and two others and we learned a lot in that time, but I was super young. So I'd like to think that I've changed a lot as a business person. Yep. And one day I woke up and I didn't want to go to work and that was my own job. And I thought that that was pretty crazy. So I knew that I had to make a pretty hard choice. We were actually seeking investment from an American company at the time. So that was a catalyst for change for me because we were all asked to sign on for five years yep. as co-founders. And so I had to really look down the barrel at my future. Yes. And in a lot of ways, it was a really successful one, but I thought it would be an unhappy one. So I made that call and it was super hard to have that conversation with two girls that I started Frank with, but I had to do it. And I did it and I'd, I'd been thinking about what I would do next already and had spent so much time in the beauty industry and I really felt like there was this gap that was what Fluff would fulfill. So uh, what, what's the vision for Fluff? Like, can you tell us, like... Uh, yeah. 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 So I really want to change the face of the beauty industry. That's what we like to say, uh, without changing the face of our audience or our customers. So what I felt like about two two and a half, three years ago, was that there were no brands in the beauty industry being responsible for the message that they were putting out there about consumption of makeup and how it was affecting especially young girls and how they saw themselves. And there's a lot of research out there about rising rates of depression, especially amongst teenagers, and they're spending so much time online. And it's really easy to connect the dots. And for a lot of brands who are driven by profit, they're just pushing out product after product and telling girls to wear more whereas we really want to tell girls who feel more comfortable with themselves and the makeup can be fun it's great but it's not necessary it's just an addition and that's why we called it fluff gotcha so yeah. 
Um, you launched with one product. Um, was that strategic? Can you tell us a little bit about the product and why you chose to launch with that particular product? I could definitely tell you it was strategic, <laughs> but we intended to launch with four products. Yep. So another big thing for me in the beauty industry is about transparency of ingredients in products. Yep. And we have a pretty strict blacklist in terms of what we don't want in our formulations. And one of those things is palm oil, just because it's harvested incredibly unsustainably. And so our biggest problem, however, is that most manufacturers use palm oil in beauty products. It's mm. a base ingredient. There's nothing wrong with the ingredient in itself in how it performs or whether it's, it's not bad for your skin, but just in terms of how it's harvested. And it's a big concern for our audience as well. But that's something that we've had to compete with with our manufacturers in terms of making them understand why we don't want to have it in our products. Yep. Um, and getting them on board. So we've been able to take it out of our first product, our bronzing powder, yep. uh, and then we're still working through formulations for mascara and a lip product. Yeah, but that's wow. the biggest thing. Once you take out palm oil, you need to reformulate and you need to find substitute ingredients and then you still need the product to perform. Yeah, so you have wow. to make a compromise at some point. Gotcha. So to actually manufacture this product or the series of products that you're envisioning, it's going to be quite expensive, right? Like yeah. are, you, are you manufacturing locally or overseas? or? So I, when I first started working on Fluff, I really wanted to work with Australian manufacturers. And with Frank Body, we had an incredible manufacturer here in Australia. But cosmetics is a little bit trickier. Yep. And the best cosmetic manufacturers are actually overseas in Europe. Um, so we work with manufacturers in Italy and with Germany. Basically, once you put a brief out for a product... Uh, you get sent a lot of base formulas to work from. Mm -hmm. And if it's a mascara, um, we might find that the best ones come from Italy or, say, eyeliner products come from Germany and we work from there. So we make tweaks. We either add specific care ingredients or we take out ingredients that we don't like and then we do a lot of testing. And then when you talk about the testing and the formulation, are you doing, you're not doing it here, you're just going up and back and saying, hey, try this, and they send you a sample, and then, hey, try this, they send you a sample, right? Yeah, so we talk to them just online at the moment. We've gone to Hong Kong for packaging yep. uh, expos, which is really interesting. And yep. once I think we develop a really great relationship with the different manufacturers that we're working with, we'll go over to see them. And I think a big thing for me as well is making sure that we're happy with how they work, their process, processes, their factories, how they treat their staff. So that's something we want to get to. But again, like these sort of things cost a lot of money, take a lot of time. Yeah. Well, this is where we're starting. Yeah. And we'll keep going from there. I see. So um, you raised, are you able to share how much you raised? Is that, yeah. no? Yeah. It's yeah. Fine. We've raised um, to date about $710,000. Yep. So I put a fair amount of my own money in after leaving Frank Body. Yep. And then I always knew that I wanted to raise because I had really big ambitions for what I wanted this brand to be. Yep. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to do that without money. Yes. With Frank Body, you know, we started that brand with maybe like seven grand because yeah, we were wow. making that product by hand yeah. out the back of Steve's cafe kitchen. Yeah. You know, if we got one order in, we would make that one scrub. Mm. But it's not the same with cosmetics. You have minimum order quantities of anywhere between... 10 and 20,000 units. So yeah, straight wow. off the bat, you have a lot of costs going into your product development. Yep. And then we wanted to make a product that had value to it. There's a lot of 
shit cosmetics out there, yep. to be honest. And I don't really think the world needs more makeup, but I think the world needs better makeup and better brands. And why, why do you care about this problem so much? <laughs> it's funny. I, a lot of people have asked me that. And I think as we have developed the brand and the more we looked into it and the more we researched, because we were just, we were talking to our customers for about 18 months, trying to figure out what their issues with the beauty industry were. And the more girls I spoke to, the more I could relate in terms of what they had gone through growing up because I'd been through it at the same age. Yet they have so much more noise in terms of the media that they consume. When I was a teenager, I just essentially had Facebook. Yeah. And I'm 29. I've still got my issues, but I can't imagine how hard it would be for a 16 to 18-year-old now with all of the noise that they have. In Kardashian culture, you know, yeah, like the Kardashians. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> and I think that we can we can laugh about it, right, yeah. and brush it off. But I don't think we yet even realise the impact that it's having on consumers or on the mindset mm. of everyone. So that's sort of what I care about is changing this sort of awareness of everyone about makeup and consumption of brands as well. Yeah, well, so, so you... So you've raised the capital, uh, you've got your MOQ, um, launched two months ago, it took around 18 months to get that product ready, mm-hmm. yeah? Um, talk to us around the customer development standpoint because I think one thing I've found from my journey and experience is really the most successful companies are the ones that have the most superior product. And so often people want to create a product or a service where they think it's great and they don't do the time to actually find out if it's a problem that people want solved. So you've spent a lot of time speaking to people. You've got this showroom strategically to be able to speak to people and have that customer-facing brand. Um, For somebody that's looking to start their own physical product brand or, or, or any kind of product, like talk to us around what kind of questions are you asking people? How did you go about and say, okay, and find out this is the problem I want to solve? And like... How many people did you speak to just on Mm. volume? Like, can you talk to us around that customer development phase and how you've worked out this is something that needs to be out there? So there's, like, so many things that I can answer off the back of that. Um, We spoke to or have about 100 girls that we speak to regularly across everything from our marketing to our product development um, to our message to our customer service, any customer touch point we talked to these girls across so one of the biggest things for me was being able to talk to girls face to face yes even before we opened this store yeah which is why we started with my three cousins actually were very much like a part of our initial brand development yes they were of this age group that we were looking to speak to and I just asked them to introduce me to a friend. Yep. And then again and again. And what would you ask? Well, like, what kind of questions? Like, so you, read, you, you meet your cousins, like, younger friend. Like, what kind of questions are you asking them? So, our biggest thing we just said that we wanted to discuss beauty with them. So, we would ask them about their current consumption of beauty products. Yep. We really wanted to know what products they were using the most. Yes. Um, and it's, I guess, a common sort of thread that most girls and women will use a mascara, some kind of lip gloss or lip balm and a foundation product. 
Um, then we wanted to know how often they were replenishing those products. Yes. So then you start to get, I guess, an idea of your business model and and your, I guess, retention and when your customers are going to be returning. Yes. Um, we wanted to know how much they were paying for products. Yep. We wanted to know how much they were earning. Um, we wanted to know who was buying the products. Was it them? Was it their parents? Were they using credit cards? Were they buying from a store? Were they buying online? Did they buy from indie brands that they couldn't find in Australia? Were they still happy to buy pharmacy products? We basically just asked them to invite us into their world around beauty, where they, um, I guess, where they were inspired in terms of beauty, whether they looked to social media, whether they looked to their friends. Um, what their relationship was make- with makeup was, which is really important, whether yep. they felt like they needed it, whether it was driven by any kind of insecurity or whether it was just a fun additional thing for them. Yep. We had so many questions and we still do. Every time yep. we're developing a new product, we get them to come in and try it. And what's great about the demographic that we're working with is that they're so honest. Yeah. They can really see through bullshit from a brand so we get this incredible insight as to what they expect yep and for us that just becomes the standard so you're looking for kind of the trendsetters before it's a trend yeah i guess you could say the first follower yeah yeah because like they say when it comes to like building like starting a movement you have those indie kind of people the the people that it's not cool yet but they're they're doing it or they're using it and then and then uh, eventually there's a tipping point where it becomes mainstream yes definitely yeah and a lot of people ask you know if we're working with influencers or who's a celebrity that we want to represent the brand yeah but we're just not there yet and yeah I I'm not being a, a jerk when I say to you or you won't know anyone that we're working with but you wouldn't because it's Sarah from that high school around the corner who has maybe 200 followers who are her friends. Yeah. But she has an incredible influence over them. So we're really, really working with like small groups um, to get as much feedback about the product, get as much feedback about the brand so that we know when we do push out or if it does kind of hit critical mass that we have a really strong foundation to go from. Yeah, I think that's really smart. Like I think, like I said, it it comes back to having that, that, the most superior product out there and you guys are just going really really deep on that customer development really knowing your target market and who you're speaking to and and tailoring everything around that and so just coming back to those questions you were asking so is that where you had the idea for the four staple products that you wanted to launch Mm. because those were the key things that this target market of girls was using yeah in terms of our sort of product skews we like to call it a foundation without a foundation yep so in terms of it's the base of what you might use if you're going to go out yep um but we sort of are quite against foundation products for now just because they more have also the purpose of covering up yep as opposed to just showing who you are yep so yeah okay interesting so talk to me about this influencer piece because it's something you're quite passionate about like at frank you guys work with like jen salta you know you you spent a lot of money um investing in influencer marketing you guys were on the forefront of that trend um especially here in australia like you know in melbourne you guys were kind of known and sounds like you were probably leading a lot of that charge known for for utilizing influencer marketing especially yeah. through social media to amplify the reach and and word of mouth of a brand right um now you're actually kind of 
done a full 360 <laughs> and you're not that interested. Why? You, you said you think it's a sinking ship um, mm. just before we hit record. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. What, what's your thoughts? And, you know, because most people that want to launch a physical product-based business, um, you, I believe, like personally, there's kind of a couple of different channels you want to use, right? There's, you know, if you go to the B2C player, you'd want to use Instagram and you want to use influencer marketing, but then also you'd probably want to use Facebook ads. You look at a brand like High Smile, for example, another really successful Australian company. Apparently they're on track to do 100 million this year after five years or four years or something, which is incredible, right? And their two key channels is influencer marketing and Facebook ads. So that's kind of what most people think, you know, um, I've got a physical product brand out of Founder it's doing quite well all through influencer marketing. It's doing exceptionally well um, and doesn't really take much work. So talk to me, why so anti, like why do you think, it, why do you think it's a sinking ship? Why, why wasn't yeah. it part of your launch strategy so much? Like, yes, you're getting the content, but yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a few things in that when we launched Frank Body, that was five years ago now, and we really were, I think, at the forefront of influencer marketing and it yeah. was incredible for us. And Influencer marketing was a new concept and it was very much genuine referrals. Influencers were reviewing products and telling people what they thought because they genuinely wanted to share that with the world. And it has become a business in itself and I think that it's one that should be credited. Mm. It's a business for them and they should make money and they should be respected and they should be paid what they're worth. But I think that... The amount of influences that are online now uh, and the amount of probably not credible ones has actually tarnished the space as a whole. Yeah, I uh, would agree. Just like you would say that the amount of brands or copycat brands, which which makes it hard essentially. You know, when Frank launched, we were the first copy scrub. Yeah. Now there's so many. And once you start getting some bad ones amongst the mix, it, it takes away from the group as a whole. Hmm. So I, I still believe in influential people 100%, but I think it's a lot more closer in terms of networks and groups. Yep. Having an influential person is my best friend referring a product to me yep. or me sitting down with a girl and noticing that her eyelashes look amazing and asking where, where, where her mascara is from yeah. and wanting to try it as opposed to seeing an ad on Instagram, which I know more often than not is purely transactional. And I saw the relationship and the conversations change with influencers over those five years where it went from them being very curious about the brand and wanting to support and wanting to get to know us to now being very much, here is my rate. I I don't even know if they care about our product and I I honestly don't want people posting about our product if they don't care because we're so much more than our product. And it's not to say that a business like High Smile can't exist but I would question what they really care about. And if they, it's not to say they can't make money doing what they do. I think it's great. Mm. But I think maybe past their product, there might not be a business with very strong values. Yeah. And, I would agree. And again, not every business needs to have that, but we're in it for much greater reasons than profit or just our products existing in the world. Yeah, you have a very, very strong purpose and why. Yeah. Um, and I think it's what, what I find interesting is it sounds like kind of you've learned some key things from yeah. Frank that you're taking that you want to bring to Fluff now. Yeah, totally. Um, so talk to me around the launch strategy. So you launched two months ago. First of all, how's it all going? 
and what would have you changed? And because and, I find it interesting, you know, I was looking, we, we caught up, you know, let's say three, four, five, six months ago and, yeah. and you launched, you, you, you were talking about a magazine. Uh-huh. Like you've got a little magazine there. You've got like these cool little merch. You've got, you've got your beanie. You've got, you know, the, the, I think you said the Gia jackets or I don't know. I, I don't really know much about chick stuff, but um, yeah. You've got all this really cool stuff. Like, talk to me around that strategy and what, how's it all going, and what do you, yeah. uh, what do you wish you had have done like yeah. differently to like two months later? So um, while we launched our website about two months ago, the brand has existed and had a social presence for a lot longer. Yeah, almost maybe like almost a year, I yep. would say. So our first move was really finding girls to talk to and take them sort of on this journey about the brand and the company's development. Yep. So we were working on this magazine for maybe like nine to 12 months where we wanted our demographic to create the content for us. And the reason behind that is very much to do with Fluff's brand strategy in that our personality is a mirror and we want to reflect what these girls are currently doing. Mm. So instead of us telling them how they should be and what they should think, we let them tell us what they think and how they want to be. And that's really important for me because I think... There are a lot of brands in the beauty space who will tell you that they're democratic and that uh, their customers decide what happens, but they're still pushing out a certain view. So we wanted to work with girls to create all of our content. So that's probably our, our biggest strategy in offering them a platform to write, to take photos, uh, to show us how they want to use products or what products they want. So we pay girls to create content for us, but it's more... I guess you could look at it as a very early like con- contract or freelancing role. We want yeah. them to pursue whatever creative endeavours they're into yep. and that's part of our brand message as well. We want them to know that beauty is so much more than what they put on their face but it's what they're doing yep. with themselves and so often I think at a young age that creativity is kind of squashed out of you. So we want to tell them, like, that's what they can be here for and where they might typically be getting jobs during high school or while they're at uni in a a retail store that has no connection to what they're interested in, they can come and work with us uh, in a brand whether they're interested in photography or marketing or advertising or beauty specifically and grow with the business. Yeah, wow. So that was one part of your strategy. Um, you've, yeah, you've done a few different things. Talk to me around what's, what you think's been the most effective and what you would have changed. Yeah. What, like, yeah, now that you know. Because um, like, to be honest, like shooting straight, some of the stuff you're doing, like, you know, you, you're incredible at creating these, like, these amazing brands. And I, I could see a lot of like what we've spoken about, what you've, you've instilled into Frank and still is there now. Um, and you're kind of, you're doing this crazy stuff. And I'm not familiar and yeah. I think most people listening would, wouldn't think about things this way, so yeah. I really want to capture that and understand. And, yeah. yeah. A lot of the stuff we're doing is going over people's heads yeah. and yeah. they don't get it and they don't know how to respond to us. Yeah. And I actually like that because, like I said, there's enough same-same existing yeah. in the world. I didn't want to create another beauty brand that yeah. was Millennial Pink. Yeah. I didn't want to create a product that already exists in terms of shitty chick packaging. Yeah. Uh, our formula, while it's natural, it comes from Italy, we worked really hard to make it a product that would suit various skin tones and that girls would want to carry around and use every day. There are other bronzing products out there. 
but we really wanted girls to buy into the overall brand and make a statement when they're wearing fluff. Um, I think that to do that, we have to get them to trust our brand and that takes a lot of time, which is why our conversation started first on social, um, getting them to contribute all the content. And so it's not what you would typically find, say, on a social feed, whether that's Instagram or our Twitter feed is literally a stream of consciousness from girls. We pull content from all of their conversations, whether it's Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Mm. and repurpose it, which is great for us, but it comes out as this, like, scattered kind of conversation that not many people get, but they relate to it. Yeah. Because it's very much the inner workings of their head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I, I kind of like where we're at it means that it's going to take a longer time to reach critical mass yep. and I know that so for me it's having enough money to spend that time yep. um, and that's always kind of tricky I think the biggest learnings for me would have been somehow knowing how much trouble we would have developing our products because it's hard when you only have one product to offer customers because yep. not everyone needs that And a lip product or a mascara, I think, would be a much easier selling for customers to begin with. Um, But, you know, could we have predicted that after 18 months we'd still be battling with manufacturers to remove palm oil? I don't know. That's Mm. kind of hard. So that's a big thing for me. Um, This space that we're in was exactly what I wanted. It came up pretty early in the piece, so... You're spending a lot of money on rent, spending a lot of money on wages as well. Yep. But again, we we thought we were going to launch in February and then we thought we were going to launch in July. This is a year ago. Yeah, so wow. it takes time. And a lot of people have said to me, whatever date your launch is, like add on double a year. It. Yeah, double like, it. Like crazy. Yeah. But yeah. that's what happened for us. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to, I guess, um, copy that's something i've always noticed you're really good at thanks <laughs> uh, you're welcome uh like if somebody wants to kind of have a strong voice or or have a voice for their brand that is gets cut through so what you're doing i think i think it's it's moving towards more on this on the side of getting cut through because it's yeah. different you know when when we put our content with founder i always think about the design and how can we create something cool that's a little bit funky, that's a little bit edgy, that if someone walked past or saw it or come across their screen, they're going to take a second look, which is essentially what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, when it comes to brand voice and and, and con- conceptualizing and coming up with a great brand, I think that's something that a lot of people discount. They don't put the time and effort into it. And I think something that you, you do really well. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you have how do you how how would you recommend to somebody that's looking to start a brand um that could be recognized and 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 could uh you know have a strong voice and yeah i think the first thing that i would say is that it just it does take time and if you don't know who your customer is you won't know how to speak to them Mm. and people avoid spending that time talking to their customers and looking at their whole world like what other brands are they looking at and how do those brands speak? How do they talk to their friends? We really carefully studied for a long time how these girls were talking to each other because we knew that that's how they would want a brand to speak to them because they see through all the shit of brands. They, they would just know if we were trying to be anything other than us. When it comes, one thing I'm always fascinated 
Spotify as well is is we've never raised any capital, so I don't really know that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but when do you plan to be profitable and, and how do you know when to focus on profitability and when to just focus on growth? Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, like because you've got to weigh up, like let's say you raise another you know, half a million dollars, right, or a million dollars, um, obviously you're going to put that, that those funds into stock because you need to, mm-hmm. to do you know the other three three items so you have a nice foundation yeah um, but then you're probably going to want to hire some more more staff and put mm-hmm. some more money into customer acquisition on the Facebook yeah. front but then yeah ha- at what point do you know when when do you plan to to focus on profitability yeah it's so interesting and what I've been learning the most about mm. in the last yeah and especially probably the last six months as as we've had product delays and had to spend more time without a product on the market to sell and burning through more cash you really have to start prioritizing and thinking about where that spend is going and especially for a brand like us where we want to do a lot of cool things and cool things cost money you have to rein it in and decide like what is the strongest play for us um i think that for me, we know that our brand story like has to come first. We yep. have to get this message right yep. because this demographic, like they need to trust us and feel like we get them. And if we cut corners, they'll see through it and they'll just move on to another brand really quickly. Yep. So we so we mapped out, I, I guess, a timeline to know when we would have to sit down and be like, is this resonating or not? And what do we do next? And there's always going to be a lot of trial and error, I think, or or trying things with messaging. We're doing a lot of paid spend at the moment um, to get people to consider the products and the brand and to, I guess, just raise general awareness about what we're doing. And that is always going to take a long time because we have to tweak our messaging tweak the visuals that we put out, just get feedback on what works and what doesn't. And you can do a lot of research into it and think that you know how your customers are going to respond and then just get a different answer. And then you've got to kind of just be able to work with that and keep going. So. So do you think you've got the brand messaging right? I would say with this small hundred girls, that I really wanted to start with and I feel like once you find those first 100 fans then you work from there mm. and it seems to really resonate with them. Because of my past experience, I have a lot of like I get an older demographic looking at us yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't sit right with them and sometimes it's hard to not let that affect you, especially when we're talking to media who are focused on that older demographic, say a millennial. So if it doesn't sync with them, they think they're potentially not going to push it out. So that's why I know that it's just a longer play for us and potentially why we need to make sure that we're making decisions that can serve our cash yep. to, I guess, buy us that time. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. when you say how long, like one thing um, one of my mentors taught me is it takes anywhere between seven to ten years to build anything of true worth yeah. and significance and that's kind of how I think about like what we're building at Founder. Like yeah. we've only been doing it for about four or five, right? Um, so how, how long do you think it's going to take to get that tipping point or the yeah. scale that just blows up? Like how, how long yeah. do you think? Well, it's interesting because like 
your business is quite different to ours, you know, they're different yeah, yeah, industries, course, but I, this is it for me in terms of what I'm doing and focused on. Yeah. And I'm the same. I've always felt that it takes a, a five-year-old business is still an infant. Yeah, I agree. Like it's tiny yeah. and I've never felt like I could stand and say that I'm an expert or know what I'm doing until maybe that 10-year mark where you can be like, well, maybe we've, you know, gained some trust or we're going to be here for a little while. But I do think that technology has accelerated, obviously, the, the growth of businesses in terms of they can experience so much more in a short period of time that might have taken other companies however many years ago, 10, 20 years to develop. Mm. And you see in the US as well, companies experiencing crazy growth in two, three, five years. Yeah. I think that we expect for our message to resonate within a year, definitely. Yep from launch yep but i would say it wouldn't be till maybe three four years that i would sit down and be like are we really onto something like will does this have potential to scale we with our investors have conversations of that five and seven year mark yeah really discussing where what's the next big move for the for our company and we need to see how we're perceived in other markets as well um, but I, I would love for Fluff to be around for 20 years. If I'm here when I'm getting greyer, that would be great. <laughs> but also if I'm no longer relevant at that time and someone younger can step into my place, like I would consider that. Of course, yeah. Look, I think um, what you're building now is something that is, is like a legacy-based mm. business and I really respect that because um, that's, like I, that's, I think, where we, where we vibe because I have that same vision as well with what we're building. Founder... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess kind of the, the reason for my question before is because I remember I'm thinking, trying to think back of when I first started Founder yeah. and I also think like the people that are watching this, they probably may have just launched something and I remember that feeling, that thought of like, oh, like I can't wait, you know, I can't wait until it takes off or I can't wait, like we're, we're getting closer, like just step by step and we're at a point now where I'm, I, I still get excited. I'm like, I can't wait, but it's kind of like, yeah, like we're getting like, we're onto something, you know? Mm. Um, do you feel that? Like, I can't wait and that hope and anticipation, like, like you just, you're not, fr- it's like a good frustration. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I like the term you stress, where it's stress that motivates you and drives you. Mm. So we definitely have moments where we know we're onto something that our message resonates and that we are in some ways ahead. Yeah. Of everyone else so we know that it's going to catch up yeah um some days it can feel really lonely and, and stressful and we maybe feel like we're too ahead yeah um and that it's just going to go over people's heads in a way but um i think that for me i've i knew that this was going to be a, a longer play and i i want to know like who is going to be the next l'oreal who's going to be the next maybelline or estee lauder there has to be a brand that takes hold like they did or is around for 20, 30 years. And we see a future for fluff in that regard, definitely. There are some big brands in the US that are making plays similar to how we want to progress. And I think that's great. Um, We just have to see. Yeah, look, we'll work towards wrapping up kind of a couple last questions. First question is, uh, what have you had to sacrifice to uh, get where you are today? What have you had to give up? Because um, I think you know, you've had an incredible amount of success in your journey as a founder. 
um, and you're kind of on your next stage of your journey, which mm -hmm. I think is really exciting. Um, and then lastly, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? So what have I had to sacrifice? I think most significantly is two really important friendships um, that I had made over a, a long period of time and making the decision to leave Frank Body affected that, um, which was hard for everyone and very much a sacrifice on everyone's part. But that happens in life sometimes and we grow up and we, we get older, we do new things. Yeah. And everything's good now but it's not the same but change is the one thing we know about life right so mm. you get used to that um salary is something i've had to sacrifice in putting everything into fluff yeah but that's okay and i was really fortunate enough to have a successful few years at frank i feel like i have most of the things i want in my life right now yeah and when i did have a great salary i wasn't fulfilled in other ways yeah so money can only do so much. Yeah, I and now I am really fulfilled. I love getting up and coming to work every day. So I yeah. think that says something. And I don't really feel like I've sacrificed that much. Otherwise, I still, I'm maybe not traveling as much, but I get to go away. But, and some days are stressful, but it's part of it. I never expected this to get handed to me on a silver platter. I knew it would be a lot of work and a lot of time. And I enjoy that. I really enjoy the, the, that this is something hard. I think if, if I wanted to create something that's going to be around for a long time, like it will literally take a long time. Yeah. So it's great in that way. Um, and then people can find out about Fluff through our website, itsallfluff.com. And I write emails about the process about building this company too. So everything from the brand strategy to investment to hiring people to our products to PR. So people can sign up to my newsletter. Yeah. And then our social is it's all.fluff. That's the main one that I think people should look at. Or they can come see our shop, which is in Fitzroy in Melbourne. But everything's on our website that they can find out. Amazing. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me again. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.